0: His favourite colour was brown. Brown was such a sophisticated colour, a quiet and modest sort of colour. Not like purple, which was Donnie's favourite. I would mean dead in purple. Or in a Donnie cap. How much would you have to like a boy before you went out wearing a stupid purple peaked cap? Honest, it's amazing the things you can know about someone you don't know. I knew the date of his birth. April the 12th. 1950. He was a typical Aries, but without the Aryan stubbornness. I knew his height and his weight and his favourite drink, seven-up. I knew the names of his parents and his stepmother, the Broadway musical star. I knew all about his love of horses, which made perfect sense to me, because when you're that famous, it must be comforting to be around someone who doesn't know or care what famous is. I knew the instrument he learned to play when he was lonely, drums. Drums. I knew the name of the dog he left behind when he had to move away from New Jersey. I knew that when he was a boy, he was small for his age. And he had a squint and had to wear an eye patch and corrective glasses, which must have been hard. Harder than for a girl, even. I didn't wear my glasses if I could help it. Only in class for the blackboard. Though I couldn't see well without them. And it got me into trouble a few times when I smiled in the street, as total strangers I mistook for members of my family. A few years later, when I got contact lenses, I was stunned by the trees. They had leaves, millions of leaves, with edges so sharp and defined they looked like God had made each one with a pastry cutter. Basically, before I was sixteen, the world was one big impressionist painting, unless I screwed up my eyes really tight to bring it into focus. Some things, as I would discover, were best left a blur. Back then. I wasn't interested in the real world. Not really. I answered my parents' questions. I gave the appearance of doing homework. I lugged my cello into school on my back. I went downtown on Saturday afternoons with girls who sometimes felt like friends and sometimes didn't. But I was living for him. Each night, I spread my long, dark hair out on the pillow and made sure to sleep on my back so my face was ready to receive a kiss in case he came in the night. It wasn't that likely, obviously, because I lived in South Wales and he lived in California, which was 5,000 miles away, and he didn't even have my address, although I had once sent a poem for him to a magazine. Choosing the right colour paper took longer than writing the actual poem. I settled on yellow because it seemed more mature than pink. I thought all the other girls would choose pink, and part of loving him was finding better ways to please him so he would know how much more I cared. They didn't sell brown writing paper, or I would have used brown, because that was his favourite colour. Sometime later, three weeks and four days if you're counting, and I definitely was, a reply came in the post. It was seventeen words long, including my name. It didn't matter that the letter said they were sorry they couldn't publish my poem. In some crucial way I felt as though I had made contact with him at long last. Someone important in London, someone who had been in the same room as him, had touched the yellow paper I had touched, and then typed my name on an envelope and licked the stamp. No rejection slip has ever been more treasured. It took pride of place in my scrapbook. I knew exactly where he lived in California, in a canyon. A canyon was like one of our valleys, only much bigger. We said, much bigger. David said, way, way bigger. Way was American for much. America was so big that Americans would drive 100 miles just to have dinner with someone. And they didn't think that was a long way to go. In America, way to go means you've done something well. Way to go, baby and they have gas instead of petrol. Other words I had learned were cool, mad, and bathroom. You have to be careful because a bathroom is not a bathroom in America. It's a toilet. The Americans are most polite people who are not standing for vulgarity, said my mother, who was German and beautiful and disapproved of many things. You might say, that my mother's whole life was a battle to keep the vulgar and the ugly at bay. In our town, she had found the perfect enemy. I just liked knowing American words because they brought me closer to him. When we met, it would be important to retain my individuality, which was one of the top things David looked for in a girl. In every interview I had read, David said that he preferred a girl to just be herself. But to be honest with you, I was unsure of who myself was, or even if I had one. Although I still maintained a touching faith that this unknown and as yet undiscovered me would be deeply appealing to David when we eventually met. How could I be sure? The understanding in his eyes told me so. Oh, those eyes. They were deep green pools you could pour all your longing into. Still, I reckoned that meeting David would be awkward enough without any unnecessary confusion. So I did my best to pick up American. It would be tricky to go to a bathroom in his house in Los Angeles, for example, and find there was no bath, wouldn't it? Or imagine saying someone was mad. David would think that I meant they were angry. Crazy means mad in America. Back then, I couldn't imagine David ever being angry. He was so gentle and sensitive. Sorry, do I sound mad? Darnie Oswin's a moron, Sharon said firmly. She was kneeling on the floor, picking at the staples in a centrefold with her thumbnail, trying to free a male torso. The slender, headless body was naked to the waist and practically hairless, except for a fine golden down just above the belt, which boasted a heavy bronze buckle. It looked like the door knocker to an Aztec temple. Sharon eased the poster off the frail metal pins until it rested on her hands, trembling a little in the hot air blowing from the small heater beside her. Sharon's bedroom was small, painted a sickly shade of ointment pink, and reeked of burnt hair, a bad cotton candy smell that got in your nostrils and stayed there. Sharon had dried her hair in front of the heater, and a few strands had gotten sucked into the back. But we didn't really notice the smell. So absorbed were we in our work. I don't think Donnie's a moron, to be honest with you, I said carefully. All the Osmans are morons. I read it in the Mac. she insisted, without looking up from the poster. Sharon was an expert restorer, the best artist in our class. When she grew up, she could probably get a job in a museum or an art gallery. I loved to watch her work, the way she rolled her tongue into a little tunnel when she was concentrating and applied her attention to the tiny puncture holes in David's stomach, soothing the torn paper with her fingertips until the flesh appeared to seal up. There you go, lovely boy, she said, and placed a noisy, smacking kiss on his belly button before adding the poster to the pile. There was a prickle in my throat like a piece of trapped wool. I badly wanted to correct Sharon about the Osmonds being morons, "'but our friendship was still too new to risk disagreement. "'We liked each other because we agreed. "'We agreed because we both thought David Cassidy "'was the most wonderful boy currently alive "'and maybe in all of human history. "'At 13 years of age, "'I couldn't imagine the luxury of having a friend "'you could disagree with. "'If you disagreed with her, you could fall out. "'Then before you knew it, "'you'd be back out there in the playground by yourself.' sighing and checking your watch every couple of seconds to indicate that you did have an arrangement to meet someone and were not, in fact, the kind of sad, friendless person who had to pretend they were waiting for friends who did not exist.